Galatians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, Lord, I, I just pray, uh, God, as we open up your word this morning, uh, Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, Lord. God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to each one of us, Lord. How does this apply to us? What uh, application is there for us? And Father, just give me the words, God, to articulate it the best I can in Jesus' name. I'm in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. We've, we've, we've talked a little bit about Galatians in the past. I love the book of Galatians. It's a real liberating and, 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 and book about the freedom that we have in Christ. It's written to a group of people who started out that journey understanding that it was all of God, all of, all of the cross and nothing of them. This was a bunch of people who, in the beginning of their journey with God, uh, came to faith knowing the cross and that's it. Knowing that because of the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, I am now accepted before God. I am loved by God. I am in favour with God. I am in relationship with God and nothing else mattered. Some people came in. The Bible refers to them. The writers of the, of the books of the Bible refer to them as false teachers. They came in and they said, look, you've got half of the message. Yes, it is the cross. Yes, it is Jesus. Yes, it is all the stuff that, that this preacher Paul came and told you was right, but he left a few things out. And then they go on and they start talking about circumcision and that was their big thing back then was you still got to be circumcised. How many of you men here are glad we don't have that as church membership right now? I think we would halve our numbers straight away. I certainly wouldn't be here. Um, so these guys came on in and they said, There's, it's Jesus plus these other things and began to complicate this simple gospel message. They began to make it more complex and started adding things to the gospel. And as they start adding things, people start thinking, well, hang on a second, uh, maybe we do only have half a picture. And all of a sudden, the piece of it they have starts to dissipate and they take their eyes off the cross and start looking over here at, okay, well, what are the things that I should be looking at that I should be making sure I'm doing and making sure I'm not doing in order to make the cross effective for my life? Paul came in and said, it's not about all this other stuff. The cross stands alone as the one and only way to make you right before God. It's the only thing you can apply to your life that will give you right standing before our Heavenly Father. There's nothing else to add to it, and there's certainly nothing you can do. If there was something we could do, then God would have come down to earth in the form of a rule book, but he didn't. He came down to earth in the form of a man who came to give his life for us. And so these Galatians are getting a little bit messed with, and Paul hears about this, and he's brokenhearted. Paul's brokenhearted. Because he gave them a pure message. He gave them the purity of the gospel. He gave them the death of Jesus and said, that alone is enough. It's, it's it. It's over, full stop. When it happened, the Bible says that the temple veil that, that separated the Holy of Holies from the average person, only the high priest could go in there on behalf of everybody. And when Jesus died, the Bible says it was torn in half, meaning that there was now nothing at all that separated you personally from having access to God, your heavenly Father. Nothing at all. The cross dealt with it. And through the cross, we can come into that relationship. But these guys were hearing otherwise. There are other things. And it broke Paul's heart to hear. He refers to them as his children. You know? This is the love that he had for these people. He said, it's like my dear children. What's going on? And we pick up the beginning of this letter in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 3. 
I'm reading from the New Living Translation at the moment. The reason I do that is because it just explains what the Bible says in a simple language that anyone that walks in here can understand the wording. That's why I use that particular uh, translation. Uh, But it'll be the exact same thing whatever Bible you're reading. Verse 3. May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That is why all glory belongs to God through all the ages of eternity. That is why all glory belongs to God because there's nothing you can do, past, present or future, outside of accepting what God has done. All the glory goes to God. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself right with God. You cannot make yourself pure and holy in his sight. No matter what you think, no matter what you do, you can't do it. There's only one way, and that is faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful message? Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful message? I I could stop preaching right now and just leave that alone and say, all I'm saying to you is, you don't have to try anymore. You don't have to try anymore to get the favour of God. You don't have to try anymore to make God love you. If you're coming to church because you think coming here is going to make him love you more, you're missing the point. If you're reading your Bible because you think reading your Bible is going to make him love you more, you are missing the point. You might as well be like the Galatians. As a matter of fact, Paul would have the same message to you, which is why I think the book of Galatians is something we should be constantly reading. Because we do live in a world where it's so easy to get caught up in other things. It's so easy to get, have the other attachments thrown in without us even realising it. Without even realising it. And I think that's the journey for many of us. We start out with grace. We start out knowing that there's nothing we can do. We get saved. And as, as, as children, I still remember how pure and how wonderful my relationship was with God. When I got saved, I used to sit at my bedroom window and I would open the window and there was a tree there. And I would just look at the tree and, and, and birds might come and land on the tree. And I just remember looking at this tree and just talking to God like I was talking to my best mate standing here in the bedroom. I'll tell you right now, I probably prayed the wrong things, but I didn't know it at the time. I didn't care. I was just talking to God. I probably spoke to God possibly in quite irreverent ways, but I didn't care. I was just saved by grace and speaking to my my mate. I was speaking to God. I, I, I probably asked for some of the wrong things. There was probably a whole bunch of etiquette, Christian etiquette, that I forgot to apply to myself. But you know what? I had the most beautiful, wonderful times of fellowship with God, just being with him. I felt like I was hearing him speak to me so clearly. It just he would speak to me and I would just know what God was saying to me. Somewhere along the line, I then started to you know, study the word of God and, and get involved in doing things for God. And, and, and somewhere along the line, the simplicity and the purity of that began to disappear. Things began to get in the way. And all of a sudden, I'm then thinking, instead of just blah, pouring out a prayer to God, now I'm thinking, well, hang on, what's the best way to pray this? What's the most acceptable way for me to word this to the Father so that he will understand what I'm saying. He's looking at my heart anyway, you know. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about these things that I'm I'm, I'm losing that just simplistic attitude, that heart of faith and grace that, that, that God's not a part of my life. He's all of my life. God is right there in the midst of the good, the great, the wonderful moments and times. 
But you know what? When I'm falling flat on my face, even when I'm deliberately doing things that I know aren't right, my father is right there with me. He's with me the whole time. He knows me. Christianity is not something that is a, something that we do. It's, it becomes who we are. We live in planet Earth with the presence of God around us and with God upon us. Paul's, if you look at every one of Paul's letters, he starts them with the same greeting. And the greeting is in the same order. He says, May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours. It's interesting he doesn't say, May peace and grace be yours. Every letter he says, May grace and peace be yours. Because without an acceptance and an understanding of grace first, you will never have peace. Because you'll always be looking for something else to add. Until we understand grace, until we dare to believe in the grace of God, until we dare to lay a hold of the grace of God, we will never, ever experience the peace that God actually has for us, the kind of peace that Jesus died to give us. We'll never, ever have that if we don't embrace grace. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. It's such an easy thing to say. It's such an incredibly difficult thing for us to fathom because it's so otherworldly. The grace of God is so otherworldly. It's not what we're brought up. We don't, we're not brought up in a world that operates that way. We're brought up in a world where your value, your worth and your acceptance is based on how you perform in just about every area of society. Just about every area from the minute you're born. You go through life, you're, you're, the way you're treated quite often at home by your parents is performance-based. I'm not saying, by the way, that there aren't consequences for choices. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the way we're brought up at school, on the sporting field, in the academic world, it, it's, it's so performance-based that if you're, if you're good, you get these great things. And, and please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying consequence doesn't matter. If I do certain actions, there will be consequences, some good, some bad. There will be consequences based on choices I make. But I'm not talking about choices that we make. I'm talking about where we get our sense of acceptance, our sense of peace from. God offers us grace, unmerited favour that has absolutely nothing to do with us. The word peace in the Bible literally means this. It means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God. Fearing nothing from God. Fearing nothing from God. Not afraid that if I slip up, he will turn his back on me. Not afraid that if I don't perform properly, maybe he won't love me anymore. Not afraid that if I make a mistake or have an accident. Not afraid that even if I deliberately chuck a tantrum, that he will go, well, that's it, I've had a gut full of you. I'm going over here. You can't go, leave me alone. I don't know. That might be the way we operate in human terms, but that's not the way God operates. And Paul prays. In all of his letters, he starts them out, grace and peace. I think it's interesting that he always puts grace first because my experience is until I embrace grace, I never really, truly understand peace. Now, something interesting happened to me this week. I woke up one morning and I was thinking about walls. Don't judge me for that. 
It's never happened before. I hope it never happens again because walls are quite boring. But I woke up one morning and I just couldn't get this idea of walls out of my head. And, 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 and so the first thing it, it did was it took me back to when I was a child living in the western suburbs of Sydney. And we used to have this little game we would do, me and my mates. We'd get on the phone. This is back, remember when you had phones where you actually, remember that? You used to do that? You guys don't have a clue what I'm talking about, do you? It didn't have a screen. You actually had to dial. And it would take forever. If you, you hoped that you weren't ringing someone with a nine in their number because it was take an hour for the thing to come back. You, you make a phone call and bang, 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 done in 10 seconds. It used to take us an hour. Oh. Did I, what was the last one I dialed? I don't know. Because it's not on my screen. I've got to start again. Hang up. You know, it was painful ringing people back then. But we used to ring up people on the phone when I lived in, in western suburbs of Sydney. And we would ring up and somebody would answer. We'd just pick a random number. We'd just dial any number and usually get to somebody. And they'd go, hello. And I'd go, look, is, is, uh, is Mr. Wall there? And they'd go, uh, no. Well, what about, what about Mrs. Wall? Is she there? And you could tell in the other, they're like, you got the wrong number. No. Oh, what about Johnny Wall? Is Johnny Wall there? No. What about Susie Wall? No. So, well, are there any walls there? No, no walls here. Well, what's holding your roof up, mate? And we'd hang up and laugh and think we were the, we were the coolest kids in the world. So straight away I went to that. I thought, well, that's, you know, is that... But then, then I, then I realised, well, I'm sure that, that I'm not waking up with walls on my, on my heart and in my head because of that. So then I did the next best thing that people do, and that is I went to Google, and I Googled in walls. What is the purpose of walls? I discovered some really interesting things about walls, and I'll tell you a couple of those things. Did you know that walls can be made from many different substances? Many, many different things. You can make walls out of... I mean, this is amazing. You can make walls out of anything. Here's a few things I found. You can make walls out of uh, concrete. You can make it out of plasterboard. You can make a wall out of wood. You can make it out of stone. You can make it out of besser blocks, which is basically adult Lego. Pretty much. You can make it out of metal cladding, plastic cladding, mud bricks, straw bale. You ever seen a wall made out of straw bale? You probably would see uh, in, in the islands and different places where they make it out of straw. I saw a picture of one and, and straight away I thought of Wurzel Gummidge. I don't know why, but I saw this straw sticking out and I thought, anyone remember Wurzel Gummidge, the kids show, the, the scarecrow with the straw sticking out? No? Fair dinkum. You haven't lived. Go home and get on YouTube and type in Wurzel Gummidge. Fantastic. Little scarecrow and life. Did you know that walls can be made for lots of different reasons? Walls can be made for lots of different reasons. Obviously, we're sitting in a room here where these walls are made to support a structure, support a roof over our head. But there are other reasons that walls are made. And this is when I started thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe God's getting my attention on something here. Maybe he's showing me something. Did you know they can be made to hold up a roof? Walls can be created for privacy. You can put a wall around your garden or your yard or something for a bit of privacy and stuff. Walls can be built by insiders to keep things out. And the Bible's full of stories of fortified cities where they would build a wall. People on the inside would build a wall in order to keep people out so that outsiders couldn't get in. They were also built by outsiders to keep things in. We call them prisons. Outsiders have built a wall and we throw people in there to separate them from the rest of society. And, and walls that are built from the outside to keep things in, we call them prisons or chicken coops, or, you know, same concept. We put something, we're building them to keep something inside of there. They can be built by outsiders to keep things in. But there's another wall. Anyone ever heard of the Berlin Wall? Yeah? 
Interesting. I didn't know a lot about the Berlin Wall other than I still remember the, the, the amazing uh, uh, feelings of euphoria around the world when the wall came down. I remember watching the news that, and seeing everyone chipping away and people pushing the wall, not really understanding the full significance. So, so all of a sudden I, 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 I found this documentary online about the Berlin Wall. And so I had a look at this documentary about the Berlin Wall and, 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 and finally it started to drop. I, I started to realise that I'm not crazy, I'm not stupid, I'm not thinking about walls because I'm loopy. I think God wanted me to hunt down and think about walls to lead me to what I was about to discover. Now, just to give you a bit of a, a, a very short history update, uh, we all know the, 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 the Second World War that, that um, the Allies uh, won and they took over Germany. I think there was four different nations involved and they, they split up Germany into four different sections and each country had a section of Germany. And um, uh, Berlin had a, a, an east and a west side to Berlin. The west side of Berlin was uh, owned and, and occupied by the US. Uh, they had a democratic sort of style of government, a lot more opportunity, uh, a little bit more like you would find in Western nations. The, the east uh, side of Germany was, was run by the Russians and they set up more of a communist type of a government. Now, for years and years, there was no wall there. People were living in East Germany, but they would go across to West... Uh, sorry, living in East Berlin, they would go across to West Berlin to work because the money was worth more over there. There was more opportunities over in West Berlin... Uh, so all the skilled labourers and the, the, the intelligent people and those who were educated were all going across. Well, that meant the economy on the western side was picking up and what was going on on the east was not much. So literally overnight, everybody went to bed one night and they woke up the next morning and the government had started erecting this wall. Literally overnight, nobody knew it was coming. And the government started building this wall and all of a sudden made it impossible if you're on the east side to go across. So the Berlin Wall is a little bit unique in the fact that it was built by insiders to keep people in. It was built by insiders to keep people in. And I thought, you know what, what a fantastic picture of religion. What a great picture of religion. Religion is like walls that we build to keep ourselves in. And as long as I'm inside the walls, I feel like I have acceptance from God. I feel like God loves me. I feel like I can come boldly before God. I feel like I'm doing good. If I can just direct those walls around me, the do's, the don'ts, all that stuff, and if I live my life within the boundaries of those walls, then I feel like I have some sort of acceptance by God. I feel like I'm rescued. I feel like I'm safe. I feel like I'm in a place where God will bless me. I feel like if I stay in the confines of those walls, then I become an acceptable person to God. Dare not I drift outside the boundaries of those walls because anything that happens outside those walls, I lose my peace, I lose my joy. All of a sudden, I feel like my Heavenly Father is now frowning upon me and maybe waiting to smack me with a big stick if he gets a hold of me. So we build these walls around us called I hate the word religion because I think religion is actually a good thing when we look at it biblically, but for, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it religion. We build these walls around our life. And as long as we stay within those walls, then we feel good. Religion's about putting a set of rules or regulations around our life in order to, be, in order to gauge our performance. We basically then begin to gauge our own performance based on are we staying within the walls and if I, if I go to bed at the end of the day and I've stayed within the walls and done all the stuff, I feel 
accepted by God. I feel like God loves me. I feel like the Lord is for me. If I've drifted outside again, I lose that peace. I lose that joy. And I feel like I lose that ability to connect with God. Why? Because I've stepped outside those walls. When we live like that, what sort of a message do you think we have for the world? We've got exactly the same message they're living by right now. All we're saying is, just instead of being out there performing for the world for your acceptance, your uh, value and your worth, why don't you come in here and perform for God? Come on, God's a better judge. I mean, who do you want, Kyle Sandy Lenz? I mean, he's a harsh judge, isn't he? Wouldn't you rather Delta Goodrum? She's so nice and pleasant and yeah, she judges you a lot better. I want Jesse J. She's quite harsh. The world's out there and that's Jesse J, really harsh and a really bad judge. Come in here and Delta can judge you. The message that we have is no different than the message that the world already has, that you are accepted and loved based on your performance. So we say, stop performing out there. Come on in and we'll teach you how to perform for God. Come on in. I'll teach you about my walls. You can build some around yourself as well. And if you stay in there and perform good enough, you can have peace from God as well. Yet the Bible's very clear that peace comes by accepting grace. If we don't accept grace, we will never find the peace that is at the very core of humanity that we're searching for. We're looking for something in our rules. We're looking for something in the safety of our regulations. We're looking for something in the safety of religion that we can't find. We're trying to gain control over ourselves so that we can feel accepted by God. And if that's our message, we are, as Paul said, to be pitied above all men because we've got nothing different than what they've got out there. We're just performing for a different judge. I don't want to perform for a different judge. Jesus didn't come to, to, to be a, a judge whom we had to perform for. Did, did he not say, I came to give you life? John 10.10, 10, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. But a bunch of people that had built religious rules and walls around them met this blind man that was healed and we, we talked about the story last week, started getting into him and, and, and trying to steal the joy and trying to steal the peace and the life that he had by saying this happened outside the walls of religion. I think it's in John nine sixteen somewhere around there. Um, it, the Pharisees are actually arguing with each other about this whole process of Jesus healing this guy. And, and one group say, he did it on the Sabbath, therefore Jesus is not of God. This can't be of God because God doesn't heal on a Sunday. That's a day of rest. God doesn't heal that day. And so they're arguing about this. Never mind there's a blind man here full of joy, full of hope for the future, living life, smiling, laughing, jumping around, connected to the almighty God. Never mind that. It happened on a Sunday, so it can't be God. And then you've got the other group going, and this is their words. They said, um, but he's just an ordinary sinner and God doesn't heal through ordinary sinners. First of all, what's an extraordinary sinner, I wonder? You know, but Jesus was accused of being an ordinary sinner. And so they're saying the same thing. They're going, but he's an ordinary sinner. In other words, he's living outside the walls. God doesn't use people that live outside the walls. This makes no sense. He's not living in the walls. So what he did can't have been done by God. He's living outside the walls. He's done a miracle, but it can't be God because God doesn't use people if they're outside the walls. So if Jesus had have healed inside the walls on a Thursday, we'd be sweet with this whole scene. We wouldn't have this argument. 
But he stepped outside the walls and he did something outside the walls of religion and people are peeking out. They're upset. They want to kill this guy. They're angry at the guy that was healed. They're angry at everybody. Why? Because he stepped outside the walls. Why? Because everything about God is grace. God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. We're not a bunch of spiritual circus monkeys that God's looking down upon, wanting us to perform for him before he'll do anything. God does things. He saves us by his grace. And he continues to move through us by his grace. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that we do that, that might stem, you know, there might be consequences for certain. I'm not saying, that, but what I'm saying is this, it's, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. God saved you by grace. God will use you by grace. God will use you by grace. Not just because you're living happily inside the walls of religion. God will use you outside the walls of religion and he will use you by grace. If you will accept his grace first and allow peace to come into your heart. We need to accept the grace of God. It's not foreign to us because we just we're brought up to work for everything. When I was growing up, you know, I was taught you you don't get nothing, nothing in life comes for free. You work for everything. So this whole concept of God's grace, it just blows my mind. I just my brain only goes to a certain point and it can't go any further because it's just unbelievable. Are you saying that I can sin and still be saved? Yes. Yes, you can. But if you understand the power of grace, why would you want to? You see, many of us are struggling with things in our life. We're trying to control ourselves, trying to stop doing things. We're focused on the, on the wall. That particular wall says you shouldn't be doing this. And we're going, God, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this because when I do this, I know it, that you don't love me. And God's going, oh, I didn't say that. Stop looking at that. Look at me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to love you. I want to show you my grace because the grace of God is power. And when you see my grace all of a sudden... You wake up one day and you go, I'm so focused on God. It's been two weeks and I haven't even thought about touching that thing. Maybe because you stop looking at it. Stop trying to beat it. Stop trying to get better. Stop trying... Because it's grace. It's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God that empowers us to change. It's all of grace. And it's not of us. And we don't like it because we want to play our part. We want, to, we want to be able to look back and go, I did that. I overcame this. I beat that. I did it. Well, keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. My personal experience in areas where I've struggled to break away is the minute I stopped struggling to stop doing it and just cried out to the grace of God and just said, God, I can't. I know that sounds really irreverent, God, and I know that all of a sudden that puts me outside the walls that I've built of religion, but I'm just going to be honest, that, that do not, I just can't do not. I just always do. And I'm fighting it and I'm fighting, but I can't stop it, so I'm outside the walls now, God, and I'm called out on your grace. Help me. Help me, God. And they've been the moments of biggest breakthrough for me. They've been the moments of biggest breakthrough when I've fallen on the grace of God, accepted that I can't change me. 
I can't, cha- I can't save me and I can't change me. And I can read all the self-help books in the world and go to all the seminars I want to and hear all the great stuff. But at the end of the day, if the, the base, the springboard from which I'm not jumping, the one I'm jumping off, if that springboard is not a springboard of grace, it's all pointless. Because eventually I'll come back to being the same person I am. I might have a bit of success for a week, two weeks, but I'll come back to being who I am because I don't understand grace. I don't embrace the grace of God. Galatians 1.4 says this. It says that Jesus died for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Jesus died to rescue you, but we spend so much time trying still to save ourselves. He died to rescue us from this present evil world in which we live. Now, now, here, Jesus is not saying, I want to take you out of this world and take you to heaven. It's not what he said, because in John 17, when he prayed for all believers and those that are coming, he said, Father, I pray, do not take them out of the world. I just pray that you would sustain them as they live their life here. Jesus didn't want to, he's not saying he's come to rescue us and take us physically out of planet Earth, but he's come to rescue us from a, a world system, an ideology, the way the world operates. And that is this, this disgusting thing called performance. He said, I've come to rescue you from this current evil world, the current evil world that is based around performance. Your acceptance, your value and your worth come out of how you perform for us. And so many people jump into the church and we keep the same mentality and we're still performing for God. And we wonder why we don't feel peaceful. We wonder why we don't have hope. We wonder why we can't break free. We wonder why we can't move forward. Romans 3.20 says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law can never change us. Making a decision just to obey a whole bunch of rules and regulations and principles will never save you. The law can't save you. It was never given to the people of Israel in order to save them. It was given to them to show them they needed to be rescued one day. We're on the other side of the one day. We have been rescued, the Bible says. That's what Jesus is about. He has saved us not only from the world, but he comes to save us from ourselves and our own performance. He comes to set us free. He comes to knock those walls down. So no longer am I living by rules, regulations and principles. The Bible says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, not those who are led by a rule book. This is the life that Jesus offers us, walking with him daily, getting to know him, letting him lead us, letting him guide us, not being guided by a bunch of principles and rules. I'm not saying the principles and rules are bad. They're not bad, but that's not the life he came to give us. He didn't save us and then hand us a rule book and go, if you just do all this stuff, you don't even need me. Just do this stuff. You'll be right. You'll have everything. It's not God. It's not the God that we worship. It's not the God we come here to sing about. It's not the God that came to give us life. That's a man-made God. And if you feel like you've got to perform to get the acceptance and love of God, let me say this, you don't have a full revelation of, of the cross yet. And I'm not saying I do. I'm still getting my head around this stuff. I'm still trying to come to the place where I can actually accept God's grace for me. You know, sometimes it's easy to accept it for somebody else, but, but for me personally, but, you know, I don't really know. I know me. I know what goes on inside of me. God, do you really mean you love me? You really mean you love me and accept me, even though I, I know exactly what goes on in this head and exactly what goes on in this heart? And God says, yeah, I do. I do. I know you don't get it because... You, that's not how I even love people. I, don't, I, I, I want to love people like that, but I don't. I look at my own kids and they make mistakes and I get angry and frustrated. And, something, but, and, and, and all the while God's saying to me, you know, that's your basis, that's what you think because you're, you're, you're an earthly person. 
And so your grace goes this far before the rubber band snaps. But God's saying, my, my grace goes on. Because I love you. I died for you. I rescued you. That you would come to me, not to come to the Christian religion, not to come to rules, not to find a philosophy to live your life by so you feel peace. The only way of really feeling peace is to wildly and passionately embrace the grace of God. Until we embrace the grace of God, we will never feel the full love of God. I had a coffee a few months, uh, a few years ago with a young man about 19 years of age. We sat in a coffee shop in Ballina and he burst into tears. He had all kinds of things going on in his world and I've never forgot what he said to me. He said to me, I'm so sick of wondering whether he likes me or not. This guy had been in church for years, was, was leadership, youth leader also, and he, he broke down one day and he said, I realise everything I'm doing, you know, maybe if I become a leader in the church, God will like me more. And then if I say yes to preaching, God will like me more. And then if I join the worship band, God will like me more. And then if I stop hanging out with these bad people, God will like me more. And then if I... And he got to the point where he snapped. He sat there in a coffee shop in the middle of Balmafair, bawling, sobbing like a baby. He said, I can't do it anymore. He said, I'm sick of trying to work out whether I'm good enough for him, whether he likes me. I said, man, you're probably for the first time in your journey with God at the best place you could be. Let's give up. Stop trying. Stop trying, because you can't. You can't make him love you any more, and you're not going to get him to love you any less. Do the right things, he won't love you more. Blow it, he's not going to love you any less. It's the love of God. It's well and truly beyond human thoughts. We're scared to do it, because if we let the walls down, what will we look like? I'm afraid to do it, because I know what I'm capable of. Because I know who I really am. I know the mask I put on at times and different scenarios I can... You know, church can be the greatest masquerade party of all time. Come on in here and we put our mask on and hey, hey, praise God, Jesus, love you. Yeah, it's beautiful. And we get home and we're fighting with our spouses. We're angry at our kids. The real us, the human side, the real human element comes out. Grace is messy. We don't like it. We don't like mess. We want to control things. And if I let grace get a hold of my life and I let the walls go down and the real me comes up, first of all, are you going to like me? I don't know. Is God going to like me? I don't think so. It's how we think. And so we keep the walls there and we try to contain it. When the walls come down, all of a sudden, we've got to deal with things. All of a sudden, we start to deal with areas of our world that were just, they were always there, they were just contained by the walls. All of a sudden the walls are down and this comes up and God goes, that's exactly where I want you because I want to work with you. I want to give you life. Not principles, I want to give you life. And the only way to get life into you is let's start to unpack some of the brokenness, some of the hurt, some of the dysfunction. Let's talk about it. And in the midst of talking about it, guess what? You're going to feel my hand on your shoulder the whole time and you're going to hear me whispering in your ear, I love you, I love you, I love you, all the way through it. Through every bit of brokenness, every bit of sin, every bit of hurt, every bit that comes out, I'm going to be whispering in your ear the whole way, I love you, I love you. None of this changes. I knew that anyway before you even brought it up. I knew it was there and I still loved you. And when you begin to embrace that and you begin to see that about yourself and be honest enough to confess it, guess what? My love looks even bigger because I still love you. I still love you. Let me give you a practical picture just before I wrap up. I'm not a prophet, certainly not a loss, I hope, but I don't rate myself as a prophet. But every now and then I feel like God lays something on my heart and something God said to me this week. 
He said, when you put walls around to contain you and you stay in there, you put yourself in a position where you don't have to deal with anything outside the walls. That's the point of walls. They, they keep things out. So you don't have to deal with that stuff. But when the walls come down, or when the laws get changed and shift, more ground gets embraced within that boundary. You know, the best way I can explain this on a bigger scale is the church in the West, we've never had to deal with the issue of same-sex marriage. I'll throw it out. You know why? Because the law has kept it outside of our fence. Hasn't been inside our parameters. The law has kept it out there, so we've never had to really worry about it and deal with it. What happens when the law expands itself and all of a sudden we find that in the perimeter? All of a sudden, we're confronted with the reality and we've got to deal with that, work out a response to that, work out how we see that. Scripturally, what does God think? How to... Because it's in our face, so we've got to deal with it. It's exactly the same with us in our personal world. When that walls come down, as religious stuff gets out the way and the real stuff comes inside of our boundary fence, so to speak, all of a sudden, we've got to deal with stuff. God doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want cookie-cutter Christians. That's not what God came. Jesus came to get involved in every area of our life, not just be something that we tap into occasionally in a prayer time, not just something we tap into when we read a book, but to engage us, spirit, soul, body, holy. I've got so much more stuff that's in there that I just don't have time to get out. But I'll finish with this story. And some of you may have heard this. Some years ago, I took Jonathan fishing. Uh, my boy Johnny is not here, he's playing footy today, but I took Jonathan fishing when he was a little kid. Him and one of his mates, a young uh, uh, Aboriginal boy, uh, Elijah, beautiful kid, beautiful kid, praying, praying for him to... So anointed as a musician. Anyway, Elijah and him wanted to go fishing one day, so I took him fishing in Balma. So we went down to the jetty. And I took my fishing rods, and they didn't have rods. I don't have cheap rods. I, I look after my gear. If you're going to fish, you do it properly. So I've got good gear, you know. So we went down there, and we're standing on the edge of this, <coughs> this jetty, and, and, and I cast out for, for, for Elijah, and I gave it to Elijah, and I said, and I always say to the kids, don't put the rod down. Hold the rod. Please don't put it down, all right? Yeah, Dad, no worries. So, you know, so Elijah's holding his rod. Johnny's holding his rod. Elijah hooks something like a stingray. And at the same time, I've got Johnny's lying out of the water and baiting it up. So I put Johnny's down, and I had mine. And so I've, I've said to Johnny, can you hold my rod? Hold my rod, I'll go and help Elijah, because he's done it. So Johnny's got my rod. I go over there, and I, I pick up the thing, and I'm, I'm fighting this big stingray. Get it up right up near the edge there. And so I get the knife, and I cut it, and let the stingray go. And then um, Johnny's saying, that was a big one, wasn't it? I'm looking up, thinking, you're standing here next to me. Who's holding my rod? Look over at my rod. It's just laying on the ground, on the deck like this, with the line out in the water. I said, Johnny, what are you doing? Get the rod. He turned around. I turned around. As soon as he started to walk towards it, it shot off the edge of the jetty and just sat on top of the water like that floating. I wasn't going to let my rod disappear, so I'm standing there with cars going past. I'm ripping my shirt off, ripping my pants off my shoes. I'm down to my underpants there in the jetty. It's raining. It's cold. I'm getting ready to dive in the water, and as I did, the rod tip went, disappeared, completely gone, sitting somewhere in the bottom of the Richmond River. Totally lost it. Not only did I totally lose the rod, I totally lost it. What were you thinking, Johnny? 
Why were you doing that? Why couldn't you hold the rod? I told you not. And I'm, I'm angry. And he looks up at me with his little puppy dog eyes. He would have only been, what, seven maybe, seven. He looks up at me with, with fear because he knows he's hurt his dad. He knows he's disappointed his father. And he looks up at me and he goes, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry. Well, that broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart. And I looked down at him and all the rage, all the, it just disappeared and I felt so bad. And I said to him, oh, you know what, Johnny? It's okay. It's only a fishing rod, it's fine. And he went, okay, and kept on going. And I got angry again. I thought, you don't get it, Jonathan. You've just lost a really expensive fishing rod. How dare you? Just go, oh, it's okay. It's not okay, you've lost my rod. And I'm going off again, starting to rage. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. He said to me, Alan, he's just accepted your grace. Now, why can't you accept mine? Why can't you accept mine? Why can't we accept the grace that God is offering to us? Stop. You don't have to work your way. You don't have to perform for me. You don't have to look a certain way. You can be you, warts and all. You can, you, I can love a person with a massive temper problem. I can love a person that, that, that is a liar. I can love a cheat. I can love adulterers. I, I'm not pointing at you when I say that. <laughs> I can love a drug addict. I can love a prostitute. I can love a tax collector. I can love anybody I want. But will you accept that grace? And, and I guess my challenge, what I, what I feel like God wants to say to us is if we feel like we are performing for God, you need to pray. You need to ask God to help you get a greater understanding of his grace. Ask God to help you accept his grace. Because here's the thing, and, and the scripture flashed up real quick, and I don't know why it flashed up earlier, but you, you, you flashed up a scripture from Genesis right at the start of, of, I noticed when I think Josiah was up. There was a, a Genesis scripture flashed up on the screen. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why you did it. But I'm telling you why you did it, because that's what God wants to say to us. He wants to say this. In the beginning, he instigated this thing that everything produces after its own kind. There's a seed in everything. And when you plant that seed, you produce the same. You stick an apple seed in the ground, you grow an apple. Put an orange seed, you grow an orange. A mandarin, a mandarin. Anything like that, you stick it in the ground. It's a principle of God. If we are people that sit here and perform for God, we will produce after our own kind. We will just bring people in and go, now you start performing like me. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that goes, you know what? I've got warts and all kinds of things that are probably freak you out, curl your toes and make your hair go grey. And God knows every one of them, but he loves me anyway. Amen? God loves us anyway. Father, I, I, I just want to pray this morning, Lord. God, I thank you, uh, Father, for your love and for your grace. And God... I don't even, uh, I can't even begin to imagine that I even understand any semblance of the massiveness of your grace towards us, Father. But I want to. I want to understand it, God. And for each of us in this church, God, I pray that we would be people of grace. We would be people that in our very core 
are gutsy enough and bold enough to embrace grace. We're bold enough and, 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 and confident enough to look you in the eye and stand proudly at your throne of grace and go, yep, I know that I'm messed up. I know I've got problems. I know I'm not perfect. I know all that stuff. But Father, you don't accept me on the basis of who I am or how I perform. You love me. God, give us the boldness to believe that, not only for ourselves, but to take that out there to the world as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Uh, Look, I want to pray this morning. If there's anybody here and and something about the grace of God, the love of God, something sort of spoken to you this morning, I'd love to, me and Jackie would love to pray with you this morning. Just ask God to seal that thought in your heart or to take you to that next place. I believe we're all on a journey of grace and discovering it and understanding it. And we'd love to pray with you this morning. Don't run off. We've got a great morning tea up the back. Uh, We've got some wonderful people here that would just love to have a chat with you. Talk to you, hear your story and tell you theirs. And don't forget to grab Pastor David over here too and ask them about their journey. It's an, it's an amazing journey.